Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. On this week's episode, we have something new we're trying out, a story read. I read you part of one of our written stories that we've reported. This week, it comes from reporter Daniel Rothberg and Nick Bolin, and they're reporting on Nevada Gold Mines, a mining company that was created by merging the two largest mining companies in the state. There have been safety issues brought up from employees at the mine since the merge. We'll get into all that and more. After that, reporter Sean Galanka breaks down the race for attorney general here in Nevada between Aaron Ford and Siegel Chatta. At the end of the show, we say goodbye to our beloved DC reporter Humberto Sanchez as he moves on to a new job, as he reflects back on his time reporting on the Nevada delegation and talks about how Nevada is viewed from a national angle. Some names in this piece have been changed in order to protect the identity of those interviewed. When Drew started working for the Newmont Corporation at a large gold mine in northeastern Nevada, it was a relief. At their previous mining job near Elko, a Nevada town heavily reliant on the industry, safety was not a priority. By comparison, Drew said Newmont supported its workers when they raised serious safety issues. It was never geared towards the blame game, they told us. When Drew was injured, there, quote, was no debate on if we should report it. But as Drew recounted in multiple interviews this year, that positive safety culture began to unravel after a merger consolidated the region's gold mines, some of the world's largest, into a single company, Nevada Gold Mines. All they care about is the bottom line, pushing ore through, Drew said in an interview. In 2019, Barrick and Newmont formed a mega company that would be managed by Barrick's executives. The new company, Nevada Gold Mines, now accounts for about 75% of the state's gold production. With about 7,000 employees and 4,000 contractors, Nevada Gold Mines dominates the economy in northeastern Nevada, operating with enormous influence and little competition. More than three dozen current and former employees, as well as others close to the situation, contacted us through a tip line to share their experience. Many said that the jointly owned company's top management has created a culture that appears to emphasize profit and productivity above all else, seemingly at the expense of safety. In August, Mark Bristow, Barrick's chief executive, sat down with the Nevada Independent and High Country News and acknowledged that Nevada Gold Mines has the worst safety record of all the company's divisions, which operates in Tanzania, Canada, the Dominican Republic, and Papua New Guinea. More than 10 of the current and former workers who initially contacted the Nevada Independent and High Country News agreed to follow-up interviews. Nearly all of them spoke to us on the condition that we would not disclose their identities because they feared retaliation given the company's influence in Nevada mining and the local job market. This is not the first time that workers have voiced concern about safety since the merger. Safety issues appeared several times in a 2020 lawsuit that the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, filed over the company's unwillingness to recognize a union that had represented mine workers for more than 60 years. The federal agency, which is responsible for enforcing labor law, took the sworn statement of several workers. Quote, I am worried that if I bring up a legitimate safety concern, there could be repercussions. I could be viewed as stirring up and they'd say that I'm just a problem and get rid of me said Mike Tangreen, a Nevada mine worker for more than two decades, when he said that in a sworn March 2020 affidavit included as part of the lawsuit. 
Part of the Nevada gold mine's hold on the area is the good paying jobs it provides. It also helps fund healthcare clinics and support community service in a part of the state where economic fortunes cycle with global metal prices. Even employees who criticize the company acknowledge this. Others, like laboratory technician Sam Brown, believe that the merger's long-term benefits outweigh the downsides. There have been, quote, growing pains, Brown said, but he believes a single company could operate more efficiently, making it more likely that its mines would be competitive and survive, even if the price of gold dropped. Quote, for the most part, people understand and appreciate that the company is a positive force in Elko, Brown said. As soon as the mines dry up, the face of Elko changes dramatically, end quote. Over the course of the last year, dozens of other mine workers we interviewed acknowledged the company's economic influence, but they also wonder at what cost. When Barrett combined with Rand Gold Resources, a multinational mining company run by Bristow, he sought to cut costs and boost efficiency. Asked by Bloomberg in January about how Barrick has controlled costs amid rising inflation, Bristow highlighted an effort to, quote, drop the overall age of our employee profile, particularly in North America, end quote, among other measures. Nevada Gold Mines has lost senior and experienced employees across several departments in recent years. Longtime workers said they were concerned that the attempt to bring in younger talent was driving away experienced employees who understood mine safety and local geology. Hiring inexperienced replacements, they feared, could endanger other employees. In an interview, Bristow, who is 63, said, quote, There is no one I can say to you without fear of contradiction that has been picked on because of their age, end quote. Although the workforce has grown younger, he said the average age had dropped by only about a year. Quote, it's suicidal to chase away your experience, Bristow said, citing exit interview statistics showing that about 60% to 70% of workers say they would return to the company. Yet current and former employees said the focus on production and the resulting low morale contributed to a high-risk environment where safety issues could become more pronounced. Nevada Gold Mines has written policies aimed at protecting workers from the hazards of heavy equipment operation. But the day-to-day -day incentives, some employees said, are misaligned with those policies. Quote, if you have a near miss, you lose your safety bonus because it could have been a potential injury, a worker testified as part of a 2020 NLRB lawsuit. Quote, if you do have an injury, you lose your bonus. Drew said that reporting a violation under Nevada gold mines became more challenging because workers feared retaliation or losing their safety bonuses, which were increasingly awarded to crews based on reported violations, according to multiple employees. When asked, the company did not provide information about the bonus structure. Drew saw how this played out firsthand. They hesitated to report a serious shoulder injury for fear that it would leave a bad mark. But Advil and Tylenol were not enough. Drew needed medical attention, so they reported the injury and were escorted to the company-backed Golden Health Clinic. Ultimately, Drew was, quote, given a full work release before it was fully determined what had happened and there wasn't much done to determine what had happened. In other words, it was handled so that the injury wouldn't affect the company's statistics. Quote, nobody wanted to report accidents anymore because we could lose our bonus and everyone would be mad at you, said Drew, who later left Nevada gold mines. They told us they still experienced shoulder pain.
Hundreds of miles away from this mining operation, Barrick keeps an office at a corporate center in Henderson, a suburb of Las Vegas. Earlier this month, Bristow sat down for an interview with the Nevada Independent and High Country News in a nondescript conference room tucked away in the corner of an office. Bristow, a geologist by training, wore a polo shirt with the Nevada Gold Mines logo. According to him, he inherited a workforce where, quote, people were insecure in their position. I've never been at a company where people were scared of being fired, dismissed, so that was something we had to work on, end quote. Bristow said he wanted, quote, a culture where people feel comfortable dealing with concerns openly. He further added that if you're faced with an unsafe situation, you should have all the rights to not do the job. Drew was far from the only employee worried about the new company's safety culture. At a different northern Nevada mine, another former employee, Jordan, described feeling unsettled by the changes after Nevada Gold Mines was formed. Jordan, who worked in the health and safety department, said in a phone interview that they and other employees feared they would be punished or terminated for bringing safety concerns to superiors. Jordan eventually left the company. Quote, My fear is that a major incident will seriously injure or kill someone, Jordan wrote in a tip form, and I can't have that on my conscience. Because of mining's high-risk environment, the federal government closely monitors workplace safety, injuries, and fatalities. Multiple current and former workers said that their biggest fear was that a slip-up or a lax enforcement of safety protocols could lead to a fatality. On the morning of February 14th, Marissa Hill, a 34-year-old maintenance technician who had worked in mining for over a decade, died after her lube truck fell more than 60 feet down an underground shaft at the Cortez Hill Mining Complex, a site operated by Nevada Gold Mines that the company is actively pushing to expand. MSHA, a federal regulator with broad legal powers to enforce mine safety rules, is investigating and has yet to release additional details beyond a brief preliminary report. Bristow and other company officials said they could not release any additional information as the investigation was ongoing. In a statement, the company said it was, quote, working closely with MSHA to fully understand the circumstances that led to the incident and take the correct course of action to ensure it does not happen again. If you'd like to read a longer version of the story Joey just read for you, you can find that on our website, thenevadaindependent.com. Joey, are you out of breath after that? <laughs> a little bit, but uh, I've got enough breath for a quick sit-down chat with our reporter Sean Galanka, who will be doing most of the talking. <laughs> That's right. So Sean has been following the spicy race for attorney general here in Nevada between Democratic incumbent Aaron Ford and Republican challenger Siegel Chatta. Alrighty, well, I am here with reporter extraordinaire Sean Galanka talking about the attorney general race. Sean, thank you for joining me. Good to be here, Joey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just to start off, I don't know if everyone knows what the attorney general does. It's an office in the executive branch of, of the government here in Nevada. But what, what do they do? What's their what's their role? Yeah, so I think the simplest way to think about it is the attorney general is the the top law enforcement officer of the state, the top prosecutor at the state level, similar to how we have local police and local district attorneys that 
investigate and prosecute crimes. The attorney general's office is, is responsible for that at the state level. And, you know, there are some different crimes that they're handling, like corruption, consumer protection, that are a little bit different from the run of the mill crime that you hear about murders, thefts, robberies, that sort of thing generally falls under the jurisdiction of local police, whereas you have some other crimes that the attorney general's office handles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they also seek litigation against like like states will sue the president and the state is actually the attorney general would be the person doing that. Right. Exactly. Right. So if if another you know party in the executive branch is, is being sued or is involved in litigation, uh, it's generally the, the attorney general's office that is representing the state of Nevada in that litigation. Mm -hmm. So we've got two candidates. We've got Aaron Ford and we've got Siegel Chata. Aaron Ford is the incumbent Democrat in the AG's office right now. So tell me a little bit about him. What's his history right now? So Ford, he's been involved in, in politics for really a long time. I mean, before he became attorney general, he, he served as a state senator for a, a period of time, was the Senate majority leader. He later became the, the first African-American to hold statewide constitutional office when he won the attorney general's race in 2018. And so um, really, he's had a rise through through Nevada politics in that way. And you know, since coming on in the attorney general's office, he's kind of implemented some more progressive criminal justice reform oriented policies but really he's kind of put this this guiding focus for the office around justice you know that is the goal of the, the criminal justice system which obviously the the attorney general's office is just kind of wrapped up in and so what has he done with the office right there he can't actually pass laws but he can you know pursue litigation and defend the the state so what what's his kind of what what litigation has he been pursuing as attorney general Really, I think one of the key pieces of litigation is related to the opioid crisis. So, you know, obviously this has been a large national issue for years now. It's gotten worse and worse. We see hundreds of people in Nevada each year, thousands of people nationally that die each year from opioid related overdoses. You probably hear a lot in the news recently about fentanyl overdoses and, and the like. And so similar to what we saw with the, the major litigation against large tobacco companies in the 1990s. Now there's kind of been this large multi-state effort to pursue litigation against these major opioid drug companies and other companies that kind of are tangentially related. Really, that's kind of been the hallmark of, of what he's leading in terms of large, really big money litigation. And already through that litigation, Nevada has secured, I believe, around $330 million. And the state could eventually see you know, hundreds of millions more through litigation against several dozen more defendants. Yeah, yeah. And has he talked about what he wants to pursue, you know, if he's to be reelected? So I, you know, one of, I think really the, one of the key things for Ford is is gun policy and, and gun control. And so he's already kind of stewarded that, you know, he's, he's really promoted the, the state's red flag law. He kind of, you know, helped move forward this bill that, last session banned ghost guns, although part of that bill was vacated in court. So there's a little bit of a, a mixed ban on, on what happens with ghost guns here in Nevada. But, you know, he supports background checks. He supports banning bump stocks, which Nevada has done. And so really, he, he didn't provide a lot of specifics in terms of what specific gun legislation we might see brought forward or supported by his office in the next session if he is reelected. But certainly, it is a priority for him limiting gun violence and, and putting in gun control measures. 
So let's move on to his opponent, Siegel Chata. What is her background? So Chata, she she was born in Israel. I believe she moved here when she was a, a teenager, went to high school in Las Vegas, went to UNLV. About two decades ago, she started her own private practice law firm, and she's been involved in a lot of civil litigation, but also as a criminal defense attorney. And I think that's kind of what she's most well known for is some of her criminal defense work, but also during the pandemic, she made a name for herself by challenging COVID restrictions enacted by Governor Steve Sisolak's administration. So she was leading a lawsuit relating to limits on capacity in uh, religious gatherings at houses of worship. She led a lawsuit challenging the state's COVID vaccine plan, basically, trying to trying to get vaccines for older Nevadans. And she's also challenged a mask mandate at CCSD school. So she's really pursued a lot of litigation related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So if she was to be elected, what are kind of her big points that she wants to to, to bring to the office? Yeah, well, if you um, see any of her fundraising emails or if you even just take a quick glance at, at Shada's Twitter, you'll see basically the same message a lot of times, which is make crime illegal again. So in particular, she is very displeased with some of the recent criminal justice reforms passed by the, the state's majority Democratic legislature and, and also the one supported by Ford, in particular, a bill from the 2019 session that was AB 236. Basically, that bill had the intention of low, lowering sentences for some lower level crimes some nonviolent crimes, such as it raised the threshold for felony level theft, basically trying to reduce the, the incarcerated population in Nevada. And so she's basically tied that bill and other criminal justice reform to increases in certain crimes. She said that they've made Nevada one of the unsafest states to live in, although, you know, actual crime stats don't necessarily show that being the case. But really, you know, she's kind of pursued like, let's put more restrictions on crime. Let's raise the punishments again for crime. And she said she would do so through an omnibus crime bill that she would introduce if she's elected. Is there going to be a, a debate or any sort of, you know, how, how has this campaign between the two of them gone so far? It has been it's been volatile and it has been contentious, Joey. We are not going to see a, a debate between these two candidates. Basically, going back to early this year, a political operative, I believe from News Tips is what the website is called, leaked a text between Chata and another person. Basically, Chata had texted this person saying, Ford should be hanging from an effing crane. And basically, since then, that's kind of blown up into an issue between the two candidates, understandably so. And so Ford has has basically said, I will not debate her. She doesn't respect my dignity as, as a human being. And Chad has kind of defended that message, basically saying where she comes from, it is a punishment for corrupt leaders. And she compared forward to a leader of Hamas. So, you know, really, it's been a testy relationship between the two. And Ford is not planning to accept any debates with Chata. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I guess we'll leave it there for now. And if you want to see any of our reporting on this race or any of the other races that are going on, you can find that on our elections page. Sean has been doing a great job following all of the races, as well as many of our other reporters. So go check that out. Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Joey. All right, Jacob. Well, as someone who has followed many a races here in the state, 
This one should be a fun one to watch. A lot of the races this year are close and contentious, so make sure to go vote. That's right. And now moving on to our last segment, where we're saying goodbye to a podcast favorite and all-around great guy, Humberto Sanchez. He's going to be leaving us this week to join a new news startup called Pluribus News. But before he departs, we sit down for one last look at Nevada from D.C. All righty. Well, I am here with our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez, for unfortunately the last time, at least unfortunately for me. I'm sad, but uh, Humberto, you are you are moving on. Is that right? Unfortunately, I am. Yeah, it's bittersweet. I'm going to miss our chats together. Yeah, I, I I always enjoyed talking. You've been on the podcast more than anyone else, which I, you were surprised to hear before we started recording this. Yes. <laughs> but I always start with the weather. And so I guess we will start with the weather one last time. How is the weather in D.C. right now? The fall here is nice. It's 79 and not so terribly humid. It's what they call Indian summer here. It's the best time of year. Normally, we talk about policy. We get kind of, you know, into the weeds a bit, pretty technical. Today, we're actually taking a step back and talking about Nevada and kind of your experience with Nevada as someone who lives in D.C. And the first question I had is just, you know, what is the perception that D.C. has of Nevada? How do you pronounce it? There's a lot of Nevadas that you get out here. But uh, it's interesting. The picture people have is something forged by Senator Harry Reid, right? He was here for so long. And he was a majority leader. He made sure that Nevada punched above its weight and seniority. He'd been there for a long time and had the seniority, but becoming majority leader gives you that extra oomph. So he led the delegation. When anybody up here thinks of Nevada, they think first and foremost of Senator Harry Reid. I'm curious too, like this Nevada, we don't have that many people that live here. Do we kind of have like an outweighed voice in D.C.? I think so. And I think a lot of that is from the foundation that Senator Reid laid. A good example of that is we have a very not senior delegation, right? There's been a lot of turnover. But nevertheless, Senator Cortez Masto managed to head off a couple of things, particularly in reforming the mining law that some environmentalists have pushed for for a long time. She's a freshman. That, that, that doesn't happen too often. And I think people also are wary that the matter is currently in the Senate and, and three of the four seats in the House are undemocratic hands. The leadership knows about Nevada and the leadership cares about Nevada. Yucca Mountain will never happen because of the delegation here, not wanting that to happen. And that's another example of where they kind of punch above their weight. And that's a, a fight that they've been waging for like generations and, and, and may still continue to have to wage that fight. You know, you never know what's going to come around the corner. And so that is an ex- a perfect example of how Nevada punches above its weight. And if the, Nevada's interests are basically the interests of the Democrats. And if that changes hands, the same thing will happen with Republicans. Republicans will look for Nevada to be their majority makers, and they will have an outsized voice because if they win the seats in the Senate and in the House, the leadership will repay that by making sure Nevada's priorities are looked after. Yeah, you talked about the delegation a little bit. I'm, I want to know, you know, what has it been like getting to know the delegation? You know, did you guys are are you on a first name basis now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've always frowned upon being on first name basis with members of, of the legislature. But just just because, you know, you want to keep that respectful distance and also they're, sure. they're elected officials. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're all man, these guys are pros. They're all pro politicians in that, you know, they have solid retail politician games one-on-one. They're charming. They're interesting. They're very funny. They're personable. They, they didn't win these seats by accident. You have to also be cognizant that they show you one one side of things. It's like a, if you're watching a, a magician or a card trick, you try to figure out how they're doing it. They're showing, you, they're showing you that one side that they want you to see. 
And so part of the job is to try to peek around the corner and see and see what you can find out. But they, they've been very good in being responsive to us as much as they can. And, and we have a good relationship to them. We've been able to talk to them in the hallways of Congress. That wasn't always the case uh, with certain members of the delegation. It's been it's been great to get to know them. And I, I'm looking forward to how the election turns out and what becomes of the delegation. Yeah, yeah. Well, one other thing is that you actually, funny enough, haven't actually been in the state of Nevada very much. You know, you live in D.C., you live very close to the Capitol, but you have come to visit a couple times. What has your impression been of the state? I remember you and I were driving around one time and you were like, why is there so much empty land here in Las Vegas? <laughs> and I actually didn't have an answer as someone from Reno, but Jacob Solis, co-host, did. But, you know, what what else stood out to you? Is it just the heat, the, the unbearable heat or the, the, the slot machines in the airport? You know, what was it? <laughs> It was all of that. It's a huge experience. Just flying in to Las Vegas, it looked like someone had built a city on the moon or on Mars because it, it, it is so desolate around it. But it's beautiful. I was shocked by the natural beauty outside of the city. It's an amazing. I can't. I can't imagine how fun it would be to drive between the Reno and Vegas. I think that would be amazing. But just and Mark Emmerday has made jokes about. It. He's like, you got to make that drive. That's when you'll when you'll see the UFOs. Well, it's funny, actually, speaking of driving, you I, uh, off mic, you and I have just chatted before and you're always like, oh, you have a car? I'm like, well, yeah, I, I have to drive places, Umberto. You just because <laughs> in, in D.C., you do have a car, but you don't drive very many places, right? Not too often, no, because I live like 10 blocks from the Capitol and I can just, you know, be there in 15 minutes and I walk and uh, it's it's great. It's one of the fun parts of living in this town. Yeah, um, you like take you like walk your kids to school and stuff, right? Yep. Yep. School isn't very far at all. Well, I guess the last thing that I want to talk about before we wrap up is just what are you watching, you know, moving forward nationally? You know, what are some trends that are you're paying attention to as someone who lives in D.C.? You're really plugged into the politics that are happening on a federal level. What should people be paying attention to? What are you paying attention to that maybe isn't being talked about a lot? Well, from a, a Southwestern perspective, I mean, the, the drought and what happens with that, what happens with Lake Mead is going to be huge politically in the next several cycles. We could see the, that even playing in, in the presidential politics coming up. We saw the Democrats try to claim victory for, for getting $4 billion for the drought in the Southwest, Colorado, Colorado River specifically. We'll see whether they can use that. I know that they're trying to funnel some money into a, some kind of a recycling project in Southern California that Nevada is going to help pay for, and they're going to get some of, of the California water rights in exchange. That's something that's still being worked out and negotiated. That's going to be fascinating to watch. It's going to be just interesting how the the Trump wing of the party, whether it can persist. We saw kind of a, a tapering off of the Tea Party and the Trumpism, for that lack of a better term, kind of came and, and usurped it. It, it. We'll see how that plays out in the next couple of cycles. In this cycle is going to be super fascinating. I mean, Democrats are gambling that they can beat election denying candidates. We'll see if that's true. In Nevada, that's going to be uh, front and square on the ballot. It's just going to continue to churn and it's going to be interesting to watch the, the stakes are super high and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to miss being able to write about it directly. Well, speaking of what you're going to be writing about, do you want to share a little bit about what you're doing next? Sure. So I'm joining a startup called Pluribus News. We're going to be covering state legislatures and trends in state legislatures from a perspective of issues rather than who's up, who's down. So I'll be personally be covering energy and environment issues so I'll be interested in what's the next state that's going to phase out internal combustion cars like California did, what's going to happen with the Southwest in, in terms of the drought. Interestingly enough, like New York, for example, has a moratorium on Bitcoin mining because it's so energy intensive. I think that there's definitely a space for covering state legislatures. 
So Humberto, one more question. I'm going to, I'm kind of springing this on you at the end, but you know, I, I think of you as a, you're a really smart guy. You're kind of like what I think of as like a classic journalist in DC, but I love the fact that when you were younger, you were in like hardcore bands. You, you play guitar, right? You're, you're, you're a musician. Well, back in the hardcore days. Yes. I, I, we used to play drums. I was the drummer in the hardcore band. Uh, DC is, it's one of the things we're known for, known for our go-go music. We're known for our hardcore music. And back in the eighties, we were kicking it old school, (laughs) but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. We played around the area and a little bit up in like Pennsylvania and New York, New Jersey. Can we find, can can we find your music anywhere? What were your band names? The band is called an initial reaction. Well, if I can, if I can find something, I might, I might play it at the end here to play you out. But Humberto, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. We're going to miss you so much. No one's ever going to be able to replace you, although we are going to be hiring for a DC reporter. So if you are in DC listening to this podcast, please apply. But hopefully, you know, maybe we'll have, maybe if you're ever covering the Nevada legislature, we'll, we'll have you back on as a, as a guest. I would love it. I'm going to miss you guys a whole bunch too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Sean Galanka and Humberto Sanchez for being on the show this week, and Daniel Rothberg and Nick Bolin for writing that amazing Nevada goldmine story. This show is produced and edited by Joey, with additional editing help from Jackie Valley. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us with your favorite New Yorker cartoons or whatever else is on your mind at podcast at Our original theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and original music from Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Next week.